0: lesson one basic hip
1: welcome to the jazz session i'm jason crane this is episode 491 for october 2nd 2019 on today's show guitarist perry smith this show is supported by its members without whom the Jazz Session would literally not be possible. I'm trying really hard to make this show and my other podcast, A Brief Chat, into my living. And you can help me do that by joining today at thejazzsession.com join. There are now two levels, 5 and $10 per month, and both come with cool bonus material. Perry Smith's new album comes out next week. It's called Live in Brooklyn, and it was recorded toward the end of his four-year run leading a jam session at The Nest. The album features bassist Matt Aronoff, who co-led the sessions with Perry Smith, drummer Jay Sawyer, and saxophonist Melissa Aldana, who has been on this show, and you'll find her interview in the archives. Here's the first track, Starlit Skies. by Perry Smith. His new quartet record is called Live in Brooklyn. Perry, great to have you here. Thanks for doing it.
2: Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, It's my pleasure.
1: This record is a document, or a a testament even, to uh, a great jam session that you started with Matt Aronoff uh, for several years and one of the things that's in some of the press materials for this record that really caught my eye because community building is something that I think a lot about and work a lot on is your approach to the jam session as an expression of community and so I thought maybe to kind of set the stage for talking about the music itself we could start there and talk about the idea of community building
2: yeah well You know, it was just an opportunity that I had um, starting at a venue called Soda Bar. We then named the Wednesday session the Soda Session. And, you know, like a lot of musicians are faced with the struggle of how do we get butts in the seats when we perform? You know, how do we, whether you're performing at a jazz club or, um, you know, indie rock stuff, it can be hard to get people out. And one of the things I realized was that the Jam Session environment is really truly a community-building thing because it's not just about showing up and watching three or four people play or one particular ensemble. It's a chance for everybody in the community to participate. So that's sort of the first part of how I looked at building this community was just the fact of creating a Jam Session. And then the second part of it was I noticed really quickly that you know, the scene in New York was really just kind of male-dominated, and there weren't a lot of women being featured, especially at the jam sessions. And that was one of the big things that we tried to change, especially with after, after our first year, after we kind of got our feet settled a little bit. And, um, yeah, I think it created some nice results, and it made a lot of my colleagues feel really welcome. And, you know, we tried our best to really try to represent the community that was uh, coming out and supporting us every week.
1: I noticed back in my own jam session playing and, and for several years hosting days that there's often a, a kind of competitiveness to jam sessions that I think maybe speaks to that masculinity you were talking about where there's some kind of like, you know, call the fastest tunes with the toughest changes and see who can hang the longest. And not only does that not, that not foster a, I think a more inclusive scene, but it also doesn't foster a kind of an idea of collaboration, at least in my way of thinking. I wonder if that resonates with you at all.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not originally from New York. I'm originally from the West coast, San Francisco area. And, you know, I remember coming to New York and stealing about 10 years ago and feeling that sense of, wow, okay, this is a different like kind of competition Um, a different dynamic of competition than I'm used to. And I I agree with you, Jason. I think some of that stems from just the sort of male testosterone thing (laughs) that we're all kind of dealing with. Um, But I was lucky enough in my um, kind of younger experiences coming up to see a lot of good role models kind of setting a different tone that way. And so when I went into this session and went into leading it along with bassist Matt Aronoff, You know, one of the things that I talked a lot about that was important to me was that, you know, if you were a really experienced, established player up there, you know, it wasn't your job to make somebody else feel like crap if they couldn't place over the certain tune. It was your job to kind of help propel them and like give them a little bit of a lift to kind of make their experience, you know, that much more meaningful. Um, And the story that I tell about this and the example that I had about this as as a young at a young age was I was in Los Angeles. I was going to school at USC and the Thornton School of Music there. And they had the Thelonious Monk Institute there at the time. And uh, one of my uh, friends and someone who I really looked up to, saxophonist Danny Stevens, was leading a session. And uh, we went to the session and there was a guy that got up and he was playing guitar and a couple of us in the corner hanging out with Dana, we're kind of like, you know, making fun of this guy or talking, talking trash on him. And, you know, Dana, who's arguably one of the baddest cats around, um, he just said, no, you know, it's not about that. Like it's our job to help this guy out. And he just sort of cut through all the BS of all the younger players, um, like me thinking that it was a good idea to tear the person down a little bit, you know, make fun of him or something. So, kind of having those experiences early on helped shape how I wanted to lead a session. Um, you know, many years later,
1: we already mentioned, uh, Matt Aronoff who plays bass on this recording. Jay Sawyer is on drums and uh, kind of in line wh- with what uh, we've been talking about. The tenor saxophonist on this record, who's also been a guest on this show. If folks want to check her out in the archives is Melissa Aldana. Can you talk about how uh, she came to be involved?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, Melissa is someone who I just met on the scene, kind of out here at New York and specifically playing some shows with her in Brooklyn. Uh, We asked her to be a guest at the session a number of times over the four years that we ran it. And when I was thinking about making a recording that would really kind of be a culmination of the four years that I spent leading this, I thought, you know, she'd be a really great person to ask to be part of this because, A, I love her playing. Um, she's got a great vibe, she's a really friendly lady. And the recording that I was going to do was a little bit more, in my eyes, straight ahead. You know, we were doing some swinging tunes and really just trying to stretch out on some stuff and really focus on the inter- improvisation and interaction between the musicians. And I thought she'd be a really perfect musician for that for that role.
1: talk about when this was recorded what the what the atmosphere was like and, and what it was like to make the album
2: so we, we recorded it on a wednesday night um in november i think it was november 14 2018 and it was one of my last nights kind of leading the session um i was going to pass it off the following month to a friend of mine noah garabian and it was just kind of the standard thing you know we show up set up all the stuff we had done a big promotion push because it was going to be a live recording night and then we just kind of went on and you know did what we do every week which is present a new show of music and try to highlight some special guests that we had had that week and it felt very natural and it felt very much kind of how i wanted it to be when you go to do recordings sometimes in the studio it's a very heightened environment you know And when you're playing something live, it can sort of feel like, oh, you're just doing a show again. Like, it's just kind of what you do all the time. And I really love live recordings. I always have. And I wanted to capture that feeling of, you know, spontaneity and just, like, creativity and then really an interaction with, a natural interaction with each of the musicians.
1: And it really comes off on this recording. I mean, you can really tell that people are comfortable and just having a good time with each other. There's a performative aspect in the sense that, you know, there's obviously people sitting there and you want them to enjoy what they're doing, but there's also a real feeling right. of kind of just and ease that I think comes across on the album.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, that was definitely the vibe that I was trying to create. And that's sort of the vibe we strive to create each week when we were leading the sessions. And yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. You know, it's something that was a, a new challenge for me to kind of work towards, you know, making a live recording. But yeah, I'm happy with the way it turned out. I really loved the way um, all the people played me and Melissa, Matt Aronoff, Jay Sawyer. They all played so great together. It definitely made my, my role a lot easier. <laughs>
1: The music on the album it's a, a cool collection of melodies built on other songs and then some just straight up melodies that folks will know will you tell me about uh, the songs that are on the record
2: the first song is called starlit skies and it's a contrafact on the classic jazz standard i hear rhapsody and a contrafact for people that don't know is really you take most of the harmony of the song same harmonic structure of the song, more or less, and then you write a new melody over it. This is a tradition in jazz. You've had a lot of people like, you know, Lenny Tristano, Lee Conant's writing a lot of contrafacts and stuff. So uh, this is nothing new necessarily in jazz, but it's kind of an area that I wanted to explore more. That's sort of what represents the first song, Starlight Skies. Uh, The second song is called Premonition, and it's another sort of contrafact-type song uh, over the harmonic changes of uh, Milestones, which is the older version uh, by Miles Davis. Let me see if I can remember the third tune on the album. I'm pretty sure it's Don't Worry About Me, which is a ballad that I just loved. And uh, I remember Frank Sinatra singing it and making it famous to me. After that, we did Golden Days, which is a contrafact on... Um, the song Yesterday, Yesterday's, the old jazz standard. And then following that, I believe it's uh, the Eternal Triangle, which is a really uh, kind of burning, rhythm changes head by uh, Sunny Stitt. And then I closed it out with All the Things You
1: Are. Yeah, and even Eternal Triangle itself is a counterfact right? I think we've gotten we've gotten to the point where yeah. rhythm changes is such a standard thing now that I often forget that yeah. the reason the word rhythm is in it is because it's based exactly. on I Got Rhythm, but that's just become, like, a thing you, you do now in jazz. You know, that's yeah, been around that's, for a long time. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? <laughs> yeah. One thing I dig about this record is that there's a lot of, in addition to all the group playing, there's a lot of space for people to shine on it. Um, Melissa has mm-hmm. a big cadenza at the end of yeah. "Reserves." serves Don't Worry About Me, I think. Don't worry Um, about me, yeah. Yeah, and there's, uh, you know, Jay's uh, got drum space on Eternal Triangle that we were just talking about. There's times when it's just you and Matt Aronoff together. There's a lot of cool moments where the band is kind of pared down and people get a chance to, you know, to make a more individual or smaller group statement.
2: Yeah, well, that's sort of my approach as a leader. You know, like, I don't want it to be all about me all the time or anything. I don't want to take every opportunity to kind of place myself in front all the time um i think what makes a more balanced show for the audience and something that's just really gratifying for me to experience is allowing the musicians that i work with to kind of have some space where they can take the lead or or be on their own or something and that's just my approach as a leader like i want those moments too but i don't have to take all of them
1: Let's take a break from the music to talk about membership. I've been recording conversations with jazz musicians since 2007. I think that's work that deserves public support, and I think I'd like to be able to do it for my living too. If you agree that the Jazz Session is worth supporting, become a member today for just five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/join. At the $5 level, you get a monthly bonus episode, early access to every show, and a yearly gift. At the $10 level, you get all that, plus a monthly episode exploring a classic jazz recording. 41 people stepped up to support the show last season. If the show is to become my living, I need something closer to 200 people, at least. Are you the next new member? Go to thejazzsession.com slash join and say yes. Now, back to the episode. You mentioned always enjoying live albums, and I, I know one that's important to you is Wes Montgomery's Full House, recorded in the early '60s uh, yeah. in Berkeley, which is around the area where where you yeah. mentioned that you're from. Why is that album important yeah. to you?
2: Oh God! Well, I mean, first of all, Wes is just such a musical hero of mine. Every album of his, I think, is it's just it's it leaves me speechless sometimes. It's hard to explain the effect and the inspiration that Wes has had on on me and so many other guitar players, but particularly Full House, it's just, it just has that spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's like smoking at the half now, which is another live album he did with Wenton Kelly trio, but Full House just has this spirit that I don't know. I just, it's so joyful and you can really feel that these guys are having a great time playing together and they stretch out in different ways. Like they play different sort of straight grooves Uh, Alongside really swinging stuff, and you can tell there was no strict roadmap when they were playing. You know, they just sort of had played this stuff. They had been touring, and this is just what they did. You know, they they played these heads, and then they improvised together. And um, there's a lot of live jazz recordings out there that I think really inspire us as musicians and that one for me perhaps as a guitar player has just really connected i mean there are certainly others um i would put brad Mehldau's are the trio albums in that category too and and jim hall live a great live recording that's really inspired me so yeah they're out there and when you talk to a lot of cats it seems like people really have an affinity for for live recordings i think because it just connects so closely to what we do on a regular
0: basis.
1: There's a thing about particularly the era in which the which Full House was recorded where what we're often hearing are the documents of bands that played every night, you know, for for weeks at a time, either in the exact same space or touring on the road in ways that are almost impossible nowadays, but actually in a way that your sure. weekly jam session probably comes about as close as we can get nowadays. There just, there just aren't places, you know, clubs anymore that book you for a three-week three run, you know, with the exception of the occasional stone, right. stone right. residency or whatever, but, um, but that right. idea of a jam session where, like, every week we play together and we work with the mechanics of bringing in different people sometimes that we never played with before, like, all of that feels like, that's kind of the modern reproduction of that idea of, you know, what it was like in the early '60s, late '50s, early '60s. So I feel like maybe that's part of the reason that your album succeeds in the way it does. Is it's just a sense of familiarity mm-hmm. that it's often hard to get these days with a busy schedule.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You know, and I, I've been a part of a lot of other, not a lot of other bands. I've been a part of some other groups that you know have performed a lot, been out on the road a lot. But in general, those groups, the repertoire is a little bit more restrictive like you're kind of playing the same 20 30 tunes or something like that like whether it's working with jazz vocalists or different ensembles um, that sort of tends to be more the same musical feeling that you get when you when you do those situations it's really hard to get in musical situations where you're playing consistently and the music is different each week and i think that's also what you're referring to a little bit is that like in this modern era, we're trying to get back to that same feeling that a lot of the, you know, former and older players of different generations had where they were playing all the time. And it was, it was different. It was truly improvised, you know, I guess you're right. That's about as close as we can get, or at least as close as I could get at the moment. I was leading a jam session doing that. But part of the reason I wanted to pass it off to somebody else was so I could kind of continue that tradition more with my own group, get more out on the road and, I've been able to kind of book a bunch of different tour dates to support this album. So I'm excited about bringing a more focused version of that out on the road uh, with my own group.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue uh, to talking about those tour dates. If folks are listening to this on or about when it's released, then this is uh, early October of 2019. And if that is where you are temporarily, then you have a lot of chances uh, to see a Perry on tour with his quartet, uh, starting with your CD release party on October 10th, which is uh, just about a week from the release date of this episode. Uh, tell folks about that and yeah. where to come see you.
2: That's uh, going to be here in New York City at Smalls Jazz Club. It's going to be the Late Set, which starts at 10.30. Uh, so yeah, everyone, everyone's welcome to come on down and check it out. Uh, the band is going to be Matt Aronoff, Jay Sawyer, and myself. And instead of in lieu of most Aldana, it will be a wonderful time to play a name, Matt Morantz.
1: Fabulous. And then uh, the very next day, <laughs> you're in yeah. uh, Louisville, Kentucky, So, and you play a late set yeah. on the 10th, and you play in Louisville on the 11th. So I see a, yeah. a overnight drive or a plane flight, I hope, in your future.
2: Yes, definitely some plane flights. We're going to go from, I guess, if I have it right, Louisville to Nashville, and then I head back, to some stuff in New York, then go out to the West Coast for some stuff then more gigs out on the east coast and uh, throughout the midwest kind of chalking it up until about the middle of november and know, yeah, i've had to i've had to work really hard and carefully to get all this stuff working because i have a wife and a kid at home now so it's a different different mentality when compared to when i was just a single guy <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: the shows which is on october 23rd at the angel city jazz fest in la is yeah. with a group that you're in yeah. called the new west guitar group will you say something about that
2: yes yes the new west guitar group man one of my uh, long longest collaborations um i've been a part of uh it was founded by myself and guitarist john story who's a really incredible uh, musician out in la and we went to school together and We uh, kind of, at that time, started uh, writing a lot of music for Guitar Ensemble, and it was a cool opportunity that we got to kind of get this group off the ground, and uh, we've been able to kind of keep it rolling ever since. Yeah, it's just a great organization. I really like being a part of it, it takes me into a different zone than sort of some of the music that I might be playing out in Brooklyn and um, other places more but it's, it's such a unique setting for us, and the music that we've written is really unique for each other. So I, I really love it, really enjoy it, and any chance I get to play with those guys, it's just really fun, because in addition to trying to create this like symphony of guitar music for people, we all just really geek out on the instrument and, and just kind of like being together and, and uh, figuring out this wonderful instrument of jazz guitar.
0: <laughs>
1: And so, again, that's on October 23rd uh, in L.A. You can find Perry's complete uh, tour dates at PerrySmithMusic.com, which is also linked in the show notes to this show. And I encourage you to get out there and support live music and uh, support Perry in particular. Thank you, you. Yeah, you're quite welcome. As you mentioned, this is uh, the record that we're talking about, Live in Brooklyn, is a uh, you know, pretty yeah. straight-ahead uh, record, but that's mm-hmm. by no means the, the full spectrum of, of what you do in music. Can you say more about kind of what interests you to explore musically?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd say my, my musical interests are pretty varied. Jazz has always sort of been the pinnacle for me, like the thing that I'm most passionate about, the thing that I want to specialize in. But I just grew up in a very kind of diverse musical environment. My parents were really into folk music. And um, I grew up being really into like rock and roll and like alternative rock and all that stuff and then getting into hip hop. And so all that stuff has just kind of been kind of fueled my energy for jazz. That's kind of how I have looked at it. So within jazz, my interests also really vary. Like I've produced three albums before this of all original music and I wouldn't call it like straight ahead because straight ahead to me implies like a real connection to the swing and bebop and like the traditional English, you know even if you're stretching away from that at times a lot of my original music is not so closely tied to that it's it's indirectly tied to that um, but it, it's different kinds of rhythms and grooves and harmonic structures and things that are more through-composed. Um, but for this album, I kind of wanted to shift and show this side of my playing that has been something I've been very passionate about for, you know, a long
1: time. And there's also, you know, I guess it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, something about a jam session that necessitates right. yeah. that people are have some kind of common language on which interact. Yeah,
0: exactly. Jam
1: session host pulls out all their own originals. <laughs> the session tends to go less. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that was part of the challenge, uh, leading the session was that every week we would do a house set and we would really kind of try to honor the choice or the, the, you know, musical direction that the special guests wanted to go in. So we would play a lot of original music in that house set. And, uh, it was a great experience to get, do really uh, a lot better at just kind of interpreting somebody's written chart and sometimes those things can be pretty pretty hairy to read and other times they're a little easier so i feel like that's more of a modern goal for jazz artists now nowadays is to kind of look at what somebody's written and be able to really nail it on the first try Uh, that's definitely something that i strive for
1: I don't want to end this interview without mentioning a couple cool things yes. that you did with the jam session besides just playing the music, which is cool enough. But you also yeah. did a, a fundraiser for Rain.org, and I was hoping you might tell us a little bit about that. Yes.
2: Yes, Rain.org, one of uh, the great organizations that supports uh, women. It stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. And, you know, like a lot of people, who are fortunate enough to have you know some kind of successful career? I wanted to give back what I could when I could, and I thought that this session would be a great opportunity to create a little bit of a fundraiser for an organization that you know is important to me and things that you know I've learned about through my family has touched this organization. So it was important to me to kind of try to put something out there that could support them, especially at a time when not to dive too deep into this, but you know, women in a lot of ways are under attack. And, and I think it takes everybody, especially men to stand up and, and try to right the ship for them. So yeah, we, we just did the best we could and created a bit of a fundraiser and
0: we donated all,
2: all of our money and were able to create and raise more funds that night uh, to support rain. And it wasn't a ton of money, but it was something. And I'd say more so than the amount of money we raised for them, we also just brought the community together in a really cool way. Brought like twenty different artists and you know, talking all about songs that had like a real social justice or political message that they wanted to get across. And it was a yeah, it was a really wonderful evening. It will it will go down in the record books. So That's a very very memorable evening. <laughs>
1: I think that, first of all, that's amazing. And also, you're on a you know show hosted by an anarchist, so you're welcome to dive as deep in any of this stuff as you want to. You're in the, oh. the safest of all possible spaces. Okay. Um, but... Oh, good. Yeah, well, let's, let's go in there. <laughs> fuck, this, fuck this shit. Man. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. I often feel like I'm on the <laughs> edge of making every single show a rant, and so I try to rein myself in. But if the guest goes there, I'm like a dog chasing a bone. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's yeah. do it. And then the show's I mean
2: I think a lot of people after after the you know occupant in the White House was inaugurated, there was a lot of people like, "What do we do? Let's figure out something to do." You know, like, let's figure out a way that we can help our society, and you know, that's also been part of it too.
1: Yeah, and there's a real um, need, I think, to do what you can do where you are. Like we're, n- you know, we're n- now we're yeah. all not all equipped to do the same kinds of things, and that's no. fine because no. the movement for you know justice and a better world requires all different kinds of people doing different kinds of actions. And yeah, so yeah, whatever we can do where we are, I think is great. Um, the other cool thing about the jam session, and actually this was an organization I didn't know anything about at all is keyed up.org um, was the, yeah. The, up. Yeah. The session became grant funded, which yeah. I, I think is amazing. I don't really know very much about it. And I would just love for you to tell me kind of how that happened and, and what it ended up sure. for the session. It kind
2: of, okay, how it happened was it sort of fell on my lap just because of the timing of it all when Keyed Up was sort of
0: just, from what I
2: understood, they were kind of more or less getting started, kind of ramping up their sort of support. And I had heard about them through another musician, through another gig I was doing, and he was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're kind of matching the funding from the venue to help support our gig. And he said, you should have them, you know, help your session out. I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting, but like, what's the, what's the catch? You know, cause it's, it's always gotta be a catch, right? right? And he said, oh, well, there's a catch because they want you to use their players. And that was sort of what it seemed to be at the beginning. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm not so sure about that. And we were getting paid, you know, well from the venue at the time. So it didn't really, I didn't necessarily think we needed anything like that. And I just wanted to keep it as simple as possible. So, but like a lot of venues, they start kind of shaving off the money and being saying, Oh, people aren't drinking as much as they would like them to, even though you're packing this place with 80 people, (laughs) they start shaving off the, you know, the, the price of what they were willing to pay us and everything. And so that's when I went back to keyed up and I said, uh, Hey, you know, would you guys, you know, be interested in coming on and helping us out? You know, we're doing this thing. It reaches all these people. And, uh, it, could really, it could really benefit the scene. And to their credit, they were totally down and, and you know, found a way to make it work. And uh, I think it's helped get a few other sessions involved with it because essentially what Keyed Up is, is it's a charitable organization associated with the jazz standard here in New York. And they just try to help you know, support venues and help support musicians that are presenting jazz music, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a performance space. And I think the mission itself, I can't speak too much about it because I'm not a representative for them, but I think it's a really, really great mission. And we kind of set a bit of a example with a session um, where they could support us. And I think now there's like, I think three, maybe four other sessions that are getting some support from that, Um, or at least weekly series that are getting some support for that. So it's a really good thing. Hopefully it can keep going.
1: My guest for this show has been Perry Smith. Uh, The new Perry Smith Quartet record live in Brooklyn comes out on October 11th. Uh, Don't forget that starting October 10th, uh, Perry has a run of shows beginning October 10th at Smalls, October 11th in Louisville, Kentucky, the 12th in Nashville, uh, the 17th back in New York City, then heading out to LA, Reno, DC, Cleveland, and uh, back in Brooklyn in November. Lots of great chances to see him. You can find more at PerrySmithMusic.com, which is linked in the show notes of this episode episode if you're driving and can't browse right now. Perry, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm glad you took the time to do it, and I wish you all the best on this tour and going forward.
2: Thank you, Jason. Yeah, pleasure is all mine.
1: If you like what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com join. Thanks to my guest this week, guitarist Perry Smith. You'll find his tour dates and more at perrysmithmusic.com. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. Dave Rabel designed the logo. You can follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, on Instagram at thejazzsession. I post a clip from the 12-year archives of this show each weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Instagram and Twitter. Also, I'd love for you to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this show. You can also subscribe to my newsletter. Just click on the newsletter tab at thejazzsession.com. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
0: Good evening everybody! Bye! Bye! Bye.